of Pennsylvania in December of 2020. Um, we have about 50 employees. We ship yeast all over the world. Um, and we, uh, we, we've been, you know, working with professional and home brewers um, this entire time. So uh, yeah, I, it was a little bit of an odd um, stumbling journey into where I am today. Uh, like I said, I'm not I'm not a scientist by trade. I am fascinated by yeast. Um, and I think now I'm like the annoying person, um, like I was at the brewery I started with, uh, to like the lab and technical folks here at Imperial. I feel like I, I ask Alice, Alex like 700 questions a, a week. Um, so he's a tough act to follow also. I'm like, dang, y'all had to have him on before me. That's that's not fair. But um, uh, I, I think that, you know, one of the, the best things about life is just, you know, being, um, you know, passionate about what you do and this, this idea of lifelong learning and, um, you know, uh, just kind of like to absorb anything and everything that I can. So that's a little bit about me and how I got here. Um, yep. From bullying my now husband into teaching me how to homebrew on our, like, our third date to, uh, being a sales manager of Imperial East. Um, I think that's an excellent way to choose a husband. That sounds amazing to me that, that like you just cornered, cornered your husband and said, here, show me how to brew. And that's your date. That's amazing. Yeah, it was actually funny. So like the, the, the first, the first date we had, um, uh, was like this weird, super awkward, like blind date thing. I did not realize I was signing up for a blind date, but, um, I got to my friend's house and they were like, you know, I thought we were just having dinner friend dinner. Um, but no, it's them. They're a married couple and Steven. And, um, uh, we had met kind of like at a party a few weeks prior and like, we had had a discussion about double IPAs and he's like, Oh, well, I make a really good double IPA. And so when I got there, he's got this like double IPA in a two liter bottle with a carb cap. And he's like manically just like shaking the shit out of it. Right. And I, didn't know anything about beer at that point and I was like oh what are you doing and he's like oh I'm just carbonating my beer and I was like oh that's that seems kind of like labor intensive and there's not a whole lot of it but whatever like I didn't think much of it and like it took me like three or four years and I like like I just like suddenly had this realization I was like oh my gosh you were forced carbonate carbi carbonating that IPA like on that first date it's like you were so unprepared <laughs> anyway that that is an amazing story. So I'm glad to hear it was a double IPA. Um, yes. Is that like y'all's bonding beer now? Do y'all like reminisce on double IPAs when you go out or, or is that not something? No, now, now it's like, no, I don't want a double IPA. I want a, I want a light beer that I can drink like two of and not, you know, be worried about driving home. <laughs> two of at work on a Saturday and still be able to go home to your kids and be safe. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's my origin story, uh, about Imperial. So I touched on it a little bit. Um, like, like I said, we were founded in 2014, um, but didn't start actually making yeast until 2015. And that's when we started, um, selling to, uh, professional brewers and home brewers. Um, started pretty local, obviously being in the Northwest, there's so many breweries just at our fingertips, right? I mean, being in Portland, there's like, I don't know, 120 or something breweries in the metro area. Um, and so, you know, Owen and Jess and Jason through their um, connections through Y East had so many 
friends already in the industry. And so um, it was really difficult at first to convince folks to swap their, their yeast, um, especially house yeast strains um, for production beers over to Imperial. But uh, because they already had these these relationships established, it was a little bit easier to uh, to establish that you know trust that a brewery needs to have with their supplier. Um, and so we started really small. It was a lot of word of mouth, a lot of really like organic growth. Um, and that was like the early summer of 2015. Started packaging for home brewers in the fall of 2015, and that was the little cans that I referenced earlier. That's all I'll say about the cans. Um, they were terrible. Uh, <laughs> why? Why were they terrible, Casey? Because they look. Oh, really we cool. all know why. We all know why. Turns out you shouldn't put um, uh, a, a live product that uh, off gases um, CO2 into a rigid container um, because it turns into a little bomb. Um, <laughs> they were really fun, though. We would have like competitions. Go outside, shake a can throw it at the ground and see who's goes the furthest. Um, so a little bit of a, you know, wild times at Imperial in the early days, but uh, we started packaging for homebrewers that, that fall. Um, and then from there growth just went, you know, kind of through the roof and it was really just exponential. Um, every year uh, we grew um, at double digit uh, um, percentages um, you know, we started in our production facility here in Portland in one room of, of several um, uh, bays in this warehouse. And we really thought like, this is going to be all the room we ever need to, to, to grow, grow the yeast that we're going to sell. And by like the end of 2016, early 2017, it was very obvious that we needed to expand. And so um, started an expansion project in Portland. Um, which really just involved getting a bigger kettle. So our original kettle, um, kind of, if you're familiar with the way that we prop yeast, I don't know if Alex touched on this or not, but um, instead of a like a three or a four vessel brew house, we just have a one vessel brew house. It's just a giant pressure cooker. Um, so this is where we cook our our media, which is just beer, um, low gravity, unhopped um, wort, um, and so. We went from a five barrel kettle to a 23 barrel kettle uh, and then started um, a massive expansion project, putting in a much larger tank farm. And so now if you walk it through our facility and if anyone's ever in Portland or Philadelphia, don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to show you around. Always an open door here at Imperial. You can come on by anytime. But um, when you walk through our production facility at, at uh, Portland, you go through P1 and it's got our original five barrel kettle. That's where we do all of our like um, non um, uh, barley malt based um, media cooks uh, these days. So gluten-free um, dextrose based uh, uh, media, um, some media trials happen on that. And then you'll see a range of tank sizes anywhere from like two barrels to 10 barrels in that room. And then you go over to production two and that's going to be a 23 barrel kettle and tank ranges in size between 10 and 30 barrels. So a much larger tank um, farm, a much larger seller in production too. And that project was complete in the, sometime in the middle of 2020. Um, and then, like I said, we opened up our East Coast facility in December of 2020. It would have been a little bit sooner um, had uh, COVID-19 not 
just shut everything down. We had like the craziest saga out there. We, we signed a lease on a building um, and then it was held up in permitting um, with the city of Philadelphia for like nine months um, because we were in like a 100 year flood zone and FEMA and the city of Philadelphia couldn't agree on um, on some specific language in in this in this document, and so it took like nine months to get through permitting. We finally got permits, um, and then go ahead to start construction on like March fifth of twenty twenty, um, and then everything shut down. <laughs> so it was really bad timing, um, but. Uh, uh, eventually, that project also got off the ground, um, and it's been growing uh, uh, pretty much the same the same way we've we've grown out here in in Portland, um, but just out on the East Coast. And so, um, like I said, exponential growth. It's just been a really wild ride. Um, uh, we have really focused our energies on brewers. Um, the majority of our products are geared toward um, uh, professional and um, home brewers. Um, you know, we've got a little bit of, of yeast that goes out the door to sake brewers or wine makers or cider makers, um, but really the most part is, is all um, beer production. Um, and then, yeah, outside of that, we've got almost 50 employees. Uh, the organization of the company is way better than it used to be. Um, and uh, it kind of feels like we're like all grown up and have big kid jobs these days um, versus the early days. Um, but as far as what's kind of on the horizon for Imperial, um, as you know, we've been a certified organic brewery for, or not brewery, yeast lab for our entire existence. Um, and we actually recently just dropped our organic certification um, Sorry, I take that back. That's not exactly what happened. We are um, using non-organic ingredients to pro propagate our yeasts these days. We're still certified organic, but um, uh, kind of expanding into conventional um, ingredients. And so that kind of does two things for us. One, it uh, opens up our supply chain. Um, uh, as an organic yeast producer, we were really beholden to um, just one single producer of organic DME and one single producer of organic zinc. Um, and it was becoming really burdensome, um, especially with just the ongoing supply chain issues that the entire world's facing these days. Um, and so uh, dropping the organic um, uh, uh, kind of seal off of everything and using uh, conventional ingredients opens up that supply chain, gives us more um, wiggle room to uh, use different suppliers, sub ingredients when we can't get some. Um, and then also uh, it kind of opens the door to some really fun um, R&D that we didn't have access to as an organic uh, producer. Um, so our R&D scientists and our R&D team is now kind of starting on some some fun um, GM products uh, that we weren't able to do when we were um, still under the organic umbrella. Um, but outside of that, um, really, it's just kind of business as usual. Um, make sure that we're giving a quality product to brewers and providing great service. Um, you guys talked to Alex last time. Um, he's just like the most wonderful person. Um, he's so knowledgeable. 
he's our technical support um, lead and um, really just uh, is just a wealth of knowledge. And so he's a really great resource for brewers. Um, so we don't just provide yeast. We want to be able to be like a partner with breweries um, and home brewers as such as yourself, you know, like we want to be able to like answer the phone when somebody calls up and talk through a problem and troubleshoot with people and like solve it with them and be a partner um, and not just say, oh, well, that sounds like it's a malt problem, not our problem. Bye. Um, so uh, that's that's kind of the always been the ethos of Imperial and um, uh, absolutely something that we are um, looking to continue to, to do moving forward. Um, a lot yeah. to unravel in a lot of that. Um, first off, as far as organic goes, my opinion is that's more marketing than anything else. I think it's oh, for sure. Uh, I think it's great that you guys are expanding your supply chain and kind of giving yourselves that flexibility because I know that that was kind of a hindrance. Um, but focusing on brewers, um, I'm kind of curious about, uh, you know, from a homebrewing perspective, like your partnership with Brewlosophy has to have been, and we're biased here, obviously, has to have been something that was kind of going that direction. So I wanted to see if you could expound upon that while you were talking about partnership with brewers and especially homebrewers and your partnership with Brewlosophy. Yeah, I mean, I, first of all, I've loved working with Brewlosophy. Um, uh, everyone I've ever uh, talked with at Brewlosophy um, has just been really amazing, really nice people, um, obviously very passionate about beer um, and just really great communicators. And then Marshall obviously has just been wonderful um, since the beginning. So, uh, you know, partnership is really important to us. I think that I don't know a lot of suppliers are like hey we we sell a product and you take it or leave it um and in the beer industry because this industry is really tight-knit it's um it's very community oriented um people like to help each other out like obviously we're competitors right um and and breweries are competitors with each other but people are constantly doing collaborations and lending ingredients and and lending advice when um, when asked, and so um, you know, in that spirit, uh, Imperial has has kind of mm -hmm. continued um, by offering the like supplier version of that. And so, you know, we we want to be able to work with breweries, not only solve problems um, because problems do arise. Um, you know, fermentation is is you guys know it's it's there's so many factors that go into fermentation um, and so many places that something can go wrong. And just because somebody's a professional doesn't mean they've got every, every, you know, check mark checked and every box checked and, and, you know, don't ever experience stalled fermentations or whatever they're experiencing. And so um, being able to offer like solid advice in that regard is super important to us. Um, you know, people need to use us as a resource. They can rely on us to, to help them out. And then also um, that kind of other like aspect of partnership, like there's that trust and like that ability to like know that we've got your back and um, uh, you know, we're going to provide a quality product for you and we're going to be like invested in your success. doesn't matter if you're making five gallons of beer at a time or, you know, 500 barrels of beer at a time. Um, there's still that like investment in people's success and just wanting to kind of spread knowledge and experience and, um, and, and passion for, for beer. So is there a brewlosophy experiment that just made you super cringe, like maybe like a lager temperature experiment or, you know, leaving it, leaving it in the dryer for too long? Is there one that just made you cringe really hard? 
Yeah, the one that I brewed with Marshall a few years back um, because we talk about, you know, needing to pitch directly from the fridge and um, you don't want to let your yeast sit out on the counter your whole brew day because it's going to it's going to warm up and then the yeast kind of comes out of that like sleeping metabolic state and it starts chewing through its like internal sugar reserves and then it starts um, uh, really just like fermenting in its package and dying and it really just impacts viability in a very negative way and Marshall called me up and he was like I my parents live in Central California and so I was like hey Marshall I'm gonna be in I'm gonna be in Central California I'd love to swing by and he's like oh we should brew a beer it's like okay great do it and uh he's like we should do a a brewlosophy experiment and and he's like i want to leave a pack of yeast out for for like two weeks or a week or something like that and then i'm going to pitch it side by side with a fresh pack right from the fridge and i was like okay marshall i was like the yeast pack that sits out is not going to do anything um it's just it's going to be dead and so we made this beer and we pitched the yeast and then we went out to like have a beer and I kid you not, it was like 45 minutes later, we were like leaving and we look at the airlock and both of them are bubbling. And he was just like, I, I knew it. <laughs> He's like, the yeast that sat out for like two weeks, he, it's just fine. And I'm like, oh my God, like, this is not, this is not the type of PR we want. All right. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, I, I think it just shows like the um, resiliency of the critters and the health of the critters that you're putting in there. Yeah, I mean, there's that. But like, I don't want somebody being like, oh, well, you know, Marshall left yeast out for two weeks and it worked just fine. I'm going to do that, too. Like, no, let's keep your yeast in the fridge. Tr treat it nicely. <laughs> well, we should always treat them nicely, but it's nice to know that there's a little bit of slack space on either side. And I'd, and I'd maybe, say there is, yeah. <laughs> and maybe you'll make it's, beer. It's nice to know when I when I order yeast online that it coming in here at 90 degrees in Florida, it's not dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend ice packs and like expedited shipping and doing what you can to like mitigate uh, some of the uh, shipping issues. But yeah, um, I'd also say that like, you know, the volume of yeast that we put in those package, uh, those packages, there's, you know, 200 viable cells at the beginning of, of packaging. So, you know, even if it, it faces some, some difficulties uh, during transportation, it's likely going to be just fine. Do you think the uh, frozen tundra of Wisconsin or the heat of Texas and Florida is a bigger enemy? The heat of Texas. 100%. Wow. <laughs> We, we, we actually like ran some tests really early on here um, on frozen yeast and we saw about like a 20, 20 to 30 ish percent um, drop in viability after thawing, thawing the yeast and testing viability. Wow. Only really, that's surprising. Yeah, totally. Because I mean, the theory is, is that those ice crystals are just going to puncture all those cell walls, right? Absolutely. Yep. But, but apparently... I mean, and it does obviously, but but that that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. Um, so you said something about lighter beers earlier, but I kind of want to hear about your favorite beer style. Oh, my favorite beer. I can't. I can't choose a favorite beer. Just just go um, styles. Broad strokes. Broad strokes. Style? Oh, I'm I'm just I'm just a basic. I'm a basic. I love a good West Coast IPA. Um, it's, 
that's really what I want to drink. I had a baby almost nine months ago and I still cannot get over West Coast IPAs. That's all I want to drink. <laughs> the whole time I was pregnant, I was like, I just want a stout. And then I had the baby and I was like, I don't want a stout. I want a West Coast IPA. <laughs> you know, you're in the right place for it, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, is there a, a favorite West Coast IPA in town that, that you can, or a couple of favorites? Don't, you don't have to like pigeonhole. Um, yeah, I definitely have two that come to mind. One, I'm totally biased because uh, um, I'm just a homer. This is, I'm just a loyal person. Um, but uh, my husband, I don't know who heard this when y'all hopped on, but he, he recently quit his job to become a teacher major career shift but um he was a brewer um and so uh he worked for bear lake brewing company here in portland um and their punk rock time uh ipa is one of my all-time favorite beers ever um just a really really fantastic west coast style ipa and then the second one um is von ebert's uh volatile substance um and that's just you know kind of out of this world really really good has one um I think two GABF medals. Um, and so just a, a really fantastic um, example of a, a West Coast IPA as well. What's your opinion on the hazy IPA craze? I I really like some hazies. Um, uh, I I think that, again, I, I prefer a little bit more bitterness and a little bit like more um, dryness to my beers. And so you know, I think a hazy can be really, really well done, especially if it's got a little bit of a bitter edge and a little bit more dryness, um, a little less like um, kind of cloying, heavy, like sticky body to it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, at first I was like, oh, what are these people doing? Like they're putting flour in the kettle. It's like, it was insane trying to like keep <laughs> haze um, stable in a package. It was crazy. Uh, but I think that as the evolution of hazy IPAs has has kind of reached to this point. Um, they're really great. Um, uh, I, 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 I don't order them often, but when I do, I'm always pleasantly surprised. So I heard that as like a rumor of people putting flour in the kettle. Do you know of brewers that were actually doing that? Because that's just... I actually don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard that was like a hay stability trick back. I, yeah people were doing that I know people were like storing kegs upside down and like yep. um you know doing the whole Widmere trick you got a pills that's a good label I like that yeah. um but it's, it's uh, Huntsville's from Real Ale and Blanco they're a great brewery what is the brewery Real Ale in Blanco Texas oh they're 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 a wonderful brewery and Hans Bills is a wonderful beer. Love it. I like the the label. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I heard all sorts of crazy things that people were doing to keep haze in their beers. Like y'all, just high high protein adjunct malt is is kind of where you want to want to triangulate here. Like yeast is gonna do a little bit, and like that like late edition um, hopping obviously is gonna create some. Um, some haze, but yeah. The... So yeah, um, there's some bad ones in the beginning. Yeah, they were so, really like like grayish in color. You're like, yuck! I don't know if I want to drink that. 
<laughs> so I know you have some fun stuff like uh, Capri and like Juice that are you're kind of like pushing towards that like hazy market a little bit. So are are those kind of your top sellers during the haze craze, or what's your still your number one seller if you're allowed to tell us that? Yeah, I would say I'll I'll give you our number our 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 three top sellers. Um, it's gonna be A thirty eight Juice, A O seven Flagship, and um, L seventeen Harvest. Um, so. Oh. Harvest is uh, a great yeast. Oh my gosh, yeah, Harvest is so good. Strain, American Ale Strain and Augustiner Lager. Um, so, yeah. Wow. And do you produce all of your yeast at both your West Coast and East Coast facilities right now? Or are you just kind of picking what you choose do East Coast? For the most part, um, East Coast uh, is working toward having the entire catalog available through um, their facility. Uh, but they're getting there. Um, and so that's the goal is to be able to kind of mirror availability in both Portland and Philadelphia. So you're, so you're saying that they definitely have, um, harvest juice and, um, definitely that. Yeah. You're saying definitely those. (laughs) Somebody gets fired if they don't, (laughs) not really, but, but sort of not joking. (laughs) Yeah, it would be a bad day for somebody, right? Absolutely. There'd be questions that would be really awkward to answer. Nobody wants to answer those questions. It's better just to keep the yeast available. Um, So, so juice, um, what's the lineage on that one? So it's a London three. um, And it's the, um, uh, it is the Boddington strain. Okay. Um, Yeah. Uh, And fun story. um, It, Originally in our catalog, it was called A38 Safari um, because it was Hopworks uh, house yeast strain. And I don't know how familiar you all are with Portland, but we're really well known for strip clubs. Um, And uh, Safari Strip Club was like right in front of Hopworks' brewery. Um, And so when they banked it with us, they were like, can we name it? And we're like, sure, of course. They're like, we want to call it Safari. Um, and so that's that. <laughs> I, I'm really sad you changed the name now. I'm really sad. I am not. <laughs> I, I think that's fantastic because that's hilarious. That, that's just a great story. You can, you can, you can. <laughs> it's a good story. <laughs> it's a great story. Um, it doesn't make any sense other than with that story, but it's great. Absolutely. Just... Yeah. Yeah. Juice makes some sense. Um, so I one thing I really like about you guys is y'all are pretty open about like where your lineage comes from on a lot of your yeast. Like um, I, I know there's some other companies that are a bit more obscure. Um, is, is that just like a, a choice that you guys made as a company? We're just going to be open-handed with all this or? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's kind of one of our like major like guiding e- like ethos is transparency. Um, you know, what we do is not really that complicated. Um, you guys have made starters before. That's that's really what we do, just on a really big scale. Um, and so there's not really any reason to keep it like under wraps and like behind closed doors. Like it's just, it's yeast. Um, most of the yeast that brewers use come from breweries that uh, we're all really familiar with. Um, and if we've not had a beer from them, we've we know of of the brewery um and so there's really no reason at least for us um there's really no reason to keep information hidden 
um, like I said, it kind of comes back to that like partnership idea, making sure that we are um, as like open and honest and, and available with information as possible. Um, because at the end of the day, it's like, we're making beer and you, you're making beer, we're making yeast. We're not like doing anything that's saving the world. Um, and so there doesn't really need to be a whole lot of secrecy, right? Like, um, yeah, yeah. I, well, well. I think that with like some of the proprietary stuff, like, you know, we've got um, a couple of hybrid strains that we've developed in our, in our, um, in our lab um, that obviously we, we wouldn't want somebody to, you know, take and bank and, and put their name on it and sell it. Um, and, and we do the same thing, you know, kind of this professional courtesy. We don't bank somebody's proprietary strain. Some are trademarked, some are not, some have patents, some are, some don't, but, um, um, it's just kind of this like professional, uh, courtesy to not do that. So there is some of that here, but, but like I said, you know, there's no reason to not give people the, the honest truth. Well, especially when it's just like us home brewers that are just nerdy about the lineage and want to know where the strain comes from. Yeah, that's I we definitely appreciate that compared to some of those other companies that keep that a little bit secretive. Yeah, yeah. Well, not only that, like I'm not saying all Chicos are created equal, right? Because y'all have different, um, you know, a different kind of thing that you're pivoting, you're picking out in that that actual strain that you're 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 trying to you know propagate, and that's great. But you know. If I'm ordering for more beer and I can't get this Chico strain, it's nice to know that there's another Chico strain around the corner that I can order. And that makes it as a home brewer, that's, that's very nice. Um, but in the same token, like if I can get my preferred brand, let's get my preferred brand of Chico. Yeah, for or sure. Or, I mean, yeah. I'm just picking on Chico because I can, but. Um, totally. And like, it's really interesting that each lab, like they're slightly different um, versions of the same strain. Um, and I think like the consensus is they were banked at different times in their, in their, um, their life cycle. And so, you know, we banked Chico at a different time than White Labs banked Chico, than Y East banked Chico. And so it's all the same, you know, uh, American Ale yeast, but just slight differences. Well, and I love that White Labs has, um, and you don't have to comment on this, but the, has copied your uh, the, with their their pitch pouches for homebrewers. Where now they're trying to up their cell count for homebrewer. But so, way to be a trendsetter, guys. Omega we, just did that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It turns out you guys want high quality, consistent fermentations, just like anybody else. <laughs> and God, I hate making starters. If I can avoid so, it just such an annoyance i never like even when i was brewing on a regular basis i'd be like i'm gonna brew today like i don't want to make a starter that's just that requires thought and planning that i don't have the capacity for see and you understand that casey thank you for understanding us because as a home brewer you understand <laughs> I, I haven't made a starter since 2018 like terrible planners um that's why we have a guaranteed in stock program for for professional brewers because most of the time a brewer will call us up and be like, so uh, do you have, do you have a pitch of uh, A10? And you're like, uh-huh, like, like how much do you need? Like, oh, I need 10 liters. Okay, well, when do you need it? Like, mm, well, I'm brewing today. So can I get here tomorrow? And you're like, oh, dude, <laughs> did you really mash in without having your yeast in your 
in your hand. You did. <laughs> so it's very interesting. I'm on the Imperial Yeast website right now, and I'm noticing that somehow an L10 is showing up. L10? Oh, Mango's... no, that's I, I10. You're making I10. I'm sorry. I'm I10. No, you're fine. So Yes, that is a brand new um, hybrid uh, that's actually not even available yet. We just put it on the website yesterday, um, and we're announcing it at CBC. So it's a hybrid of two Kvike strains, actually. Um, really? Yeah, and uh, it's a really fun strain. Um, a lot of, like, really ripe, um, not overripe, but definitely, like, that borderline of, like, just on the cusp of like being like too ripe um tropical fruit character some lychee a little bit of like strawberry a little bit of um uh mango-ish um mango i hope of, based off the name yeah yeah tiny bit of banana um so it's brand new i think it's going to be available for purchase on june 5th um so it'll be in pouches uh around that date and heading out to homebrew shops um and then Commercial brewers will also be uh, available to purchase it that day. Um, so yeah, if you wanna, if you want to get your hands on some, just let me know and we can make it happen. Um, that's really awesome. So you said it's two Kvike strains, and so um, are those isolates you already have in your catalog, or did y'all go out and explore? Or no, they're so they're they're isolates that we had in our catalog, um, but that we did not, we've never um, sold before. Um, and I actually, I probably should have prepared slightly more than I, I did um, for this, but I don't actually know which Kvek strains um, are the parents. I think I see my coworker Rory on this call. Hey Rory, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Do you do you know which which Kvek strains? No, the log just says two proprietary strains. Okay. And I think one is just like Kvike K. Um, no, yeah, it's it was really like K11 and K12, um, but that's all I know about them. So, speaking of obscurity, there you go. There's ours. <laughs> well, but it's not it, because we're intentionally being obscure. It's because I don't know. <laughs> well, in all honesty, though, too, like the, the the Imperialis is again, that's your kind of proprietary stuff. So there's going to be some proprietary things happening there. So I don't really expect you to like spill all the beans. I think it's cool that you admit that it's Juice and Loki that you. Um, made a love child with for Capri. Yeah, yeah, and that that process is super cool. Um, just that, that kind of like forced um, uh, sporulation and like uh, reproduction of the yeast um, to create something like completely different. We actually, just like about a month ago, ran um, sensory trials on the third round of um, this project. Uh, and we, we sampled like six different, um, beers made with what Matt, our lead R&D scientist, is calling spore babies. Um, and so uh, he's like um, forcing the yeast to sporulate and then like putting them close together. Uh, and then they do their kind of like, you know, yeast sexy time and create babies. Um, and uh, yeah, he fermented six beers. Three of them, I would never recommend anybody fermenting with ever again. Um, but the other three were really good. Um, and so there's some some uh, potential there with those three strains to see what comes of them. So it's basically two dogs in a cage, and which one is not the redheaded stepchild? Absolutely, yeah. 
so you're too, I mean, now. I probably you're... really um, like that analogy, to be honest with you. Uh, uh, that's perfect. I, I love it too. So <laughs> go ahead, Haven. So with your Imperialis project, you have Capri, obviously, which is more geared towards IPA. And now this, how do you say that? Man mango? Steamy? I don't know, whatever. However you say that, both of those are kind of geared towards IPA. Are you looking to do more with the Imperialis project for other types of beers? Maybe like a, a Belgian? I, I don't know what you could do really with other types, but. No, unfortunately, we're a business and we've got to sell yeast and nobody wants Belgian yeasts. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm offended right now. I am too, to be honest. I love I love a good Belgian beer. Um, some of, one of my favorite strains of, of the ones that we make is B56 Rustic. It's amazing. It's delicious. It makes a fantastic beer. Um, I love it. Uh, but, uh, you know, the average Joe beer drinker that's drinking at um, all the craft breweries around the country, they don't want, they don't want a Belgian beer. They want an IPA. So maybe yeah. a lager um, or a cold IPA strain. Um, that's definitely been talked about. Uh, we'd like to see um, like a Chico strain that's actually like a high flocking variety. Um, so uh, you can get some nice bright beer um, for a West Coast IPA. So definitely some like non like super hop forward, like fruit forward um, IPA strains that will be coming down the pipe eventually. But yeah, mm -hmm. uh, the focus has really always been on um, what's going to sell the best. And that's IPA strains. Makes sense. Well, and what's so weird to me about that, though, like, and, and it's not just you guys, but it's like, you know, Omega and everybody else, like you're doing this crazy thing, like Omega has all their thialized yeast strains, and you're like, well, how is this not going to get lost in the hazy somewhere? Like, may maybe it's layered in there somewhere, but how does this not get lost? If you put like, you know, as a home brewer, if I put, you know, an eight pounds of a pound of citra in my dry hop, like how is the thiols going to come through anywhere? No other way. than You won't other be able you won't be able to see the herb experience them like even if you i mean even if you did a side by side like how are you gonna pick that out because that just yeah. seems that's what's wild to me about some of this stuff whereas like if you had like a lager and you had something cool with some gmo thialized stuff in that then there should be um, maybe a cleanness to it that would allow some of that to come through and be kind of funky on its own yeah yeah i mean people are making poppy lagers these days like west coast style lagers we, well, we, we're, we're trying to help spearhead the West Coast Pills movement here at the Brew Club, so. <laughs> Being a lager um, purist, I, I have problems with that, but that's okay. <laughs> um, well, I, I think it deserves its own category, though, and not to hijack your, your strain thing, but, like, because it, it's one of those things that, like, it's cleaner, and, like, a dry-hopped lager, like, is a different thing with, like, because um, I think I did mine with, uh, and you can tell me how to pronounce this, Hugi? Hugi? Huga. 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 All right. Say that five times fast. Um, so Huga, um, you know, and, and there's a different characteristic with a Huga yeast versus something like, you know, if I would have used flagship or pub or something like that. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I think they deserve their own place. And I'm I'm personally a big advocate of hoppy lager, but I digress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hoppy lager. Sure. So are you a fan of any cold IPAs that you've had? Because I can't really tell the difference between 
a West Coast IPA and a cold IPA. I have no idea what the difference is supposed to be, to be honest with you. Okay, I'm glad I'm glad someone in the professional yeast yeah. industry agrees with me. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, I mean, they're both really great, nice beers. Like, yeah, I've never understood that but... either. <laughs> it, I, at first, I thought it was like a coal yeast that they fermented cold with basically a West Coast Pills recipe, and then I just I don't know I just it it tastes exactly the same I don't I don't get it. There's a lot I think there's a lot of interpretation with that style um, as there was a lot of interpretation with hazies to begin with, and so some folks mm. are using lager strains, some folks are using ale strains um you know there's like there's a lot of different approaches happening all over the place oh that makes sense some people are using cold strains yeah it's just it's kind of all over the map mm -hmm. so um not to hijack or, or go too far off do you um what is kind of uh imperial stance on like some of the thialized yeast strains is that there's genetic modification like are, are you looking to get more into that now that you're kind of moving away from the organic label or is it just kind of seem like a fad um i mean it's really cool science um it's really really neat what they're doing with the thialized strains and being able to um kind of actively select for certain genes to promote flavor profiles and like you know, the enzyme to, um, to promote those, those are like really like big, uh, white wine, you know, grape characteristics and whatnot. Um, so it's really, really neat science. Um, with the drop of, of organic, it definitely will open the door to some of that like GM stuff for us. Um, but right now we're not really chasing thials. Um, we are conducting a whole lot of research in house on, um, the biotransformation uh, like power or abilities of our current lineup. Um, and just between you and me, uh, A15 Independence and GO2 Kaiser are both really, really great at um, converting those free thiols and um, creating some of that uh, biotransformation goodness that everybody's so excited about right now. So I, I kind of think thialized yeast strains, like, I think that's like, it's kind of cool. It's neat. I think the real thing that's fun there is like, if you can get rid of diacetyl from like lager yeast strains, like to me, that's where you could really do something cool. Yeah. And there's a, um, a lab based out of Berkeley, California. They're actually yeah. Berkeley labs. Um, and they, yeah, they've got a, a diacetyl free um, Chico. So it's pretty cool. Um, I was super curious and I don't think, I was talking to Alex about this. I don't think anybody's done any research on this. Um, if, because like all yeast strains produce those precursors to diacetyl, right? Um, and so like, if you're turning off that gene and those precursors are not forming, like, are you impacting your fermentation in any sort of like detrimental way? And I was super curious. Nobody's actually done any research on this. So I've been like seeking them out and like trying them because I'm really, really curious about this. I always thought the diacetyl step was that like is a precursor just the alcohol. I mean, it's just the flavor of beer. That's I didn't think you could make a diacetyl-free yeast that was like integral to the part to the to fermentation. Yeah. Um, uh, Weird. VDK vicinal uh, diketones are um, the precursor to diacetyl. 
Um, and they're produced by every single yeast during every single fermentation. Um, well, but they don't really, as far as we know, they don't really contribute to like the overall like impact of like what a beer tastes like and smells like and like is perceived as. And so, um, yeah, you can just hmm. turn that gene off and not have to worry about diacetyl, which is really neat. Interesting. Well, and I know a lot of DMS is produced during fermentation. So are there, are there things we can do to reduce that kind of thing? Or is that more of an upstream process? I don't get the downstream process. I mean, I think that, you know, as long as you're um, actively like boiling for at least 60 minutes, um, you're, you're, you're reducing the amount of like DMS that's going to be produced in your, in your beer. Yeah. And one of the things nobody talks about with DMS is like conical fermenters are supposedly more likely to produce DMS in beers than flat fermenters on the bottom but that's that's a different oh, totally i mean like ester formation is is, is also going to be impacted by like tank shape and size for sure oh that sounds like fun experiments to me um <laughs> glutton for punishment here cool um i have a really important question um what is your desert island beer and while she's thinking are there some more questions i'll need to throw them up in the chat guys um, my desert island beer is Orval. Mm, you really? and Vinny Trelurzo. Really? Yes. yes. Although, oh, you know what? Now that I say that, Rory's probably like, what the hell, Casey? What? Why would you answer that? Um, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale is also a desert island beer. Um, I love it so much. And I have like, I don't know. Rory, Rory's heard me talk about. Sierra, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and my love for it like at least 15 times um in the last like year that he's worked here um and he he was like oh I haven't had it in a long time and he was like inspired by me to go out and get it and he enjoyed it but so I don't know it's a toss-up between those two because you want something that's really like easy drinking and delicious and you know it's always going to be good and refreshing Sierra Nevada Pale Ale but also like Orval, it's so complex, but it's also really refreshing. And so like you wouldn't get bored. Do, do you wanna do you know why Vinny chose Orval? No. Yeah, no. why? Uh because he um he said that because it changes flavor so constantly, you would never have the same experience. It's a good answer. And I'm not going to be arguing with Vinny Schlerzo because he's obviously forgotten. I'm not going to argue with him either. Absolutely not. He's forgotten more <laughs> about beer than I ever knew. So, um, <laughs> so that I, I think you're the, you're the only other person I've ever heard say overall. I've heard Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, and that's an excellent beer, and I might answer it that way as well. But I mean, I almost always have a Sierra Nevada in my fridge. Like it's a very rare day that there's not Sierra Nevada in my fridge. <laughs> that's some dedication. I mean, I, I usually get it. it when I need bottles for sending off to competitions because the labels come off easy and they're easy to package. <laughs> and it fits nicely on the shelf and in the door in your fridge. It it's does. Slightly smaller. <laughs> Delicious. Uh, and it does age fairly well too. Like for for being oh, yeah. like a hoppy pale ale, like it 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 holds up. It's it's bottle conditioned, so I think that that's uh, got a lot to do with it. I think hop choice too, because like, you know, um, citra, a lot of those volatile kind of compounds will kind of fade away where it's like Cascade, Centennial, those kind of hops have a lot of staying power. So absolutely. Uh, cool. Um, come on, guys, throw up some questions, throw them out there. You can say them out loud. Um, All right. I got one. There you go. So 
I worked in a commercial brewery and I worked on a bottling line and a canning line. How does a commercial brewery's packaging system differ from Imperial's packaging system? Because I think you guys probably have to be a lot more sanitary than, than like a brewery has to be, right? Yeah, I mean, our our like packaging for for yeast is, I mean, almost exclusively done under hoods. Um, really? So under like positive pressure hoods, uh, especially on the homebrew side, because you've got um, yeast that's kind of open to oxygen for a long period of time while we're while we're filling um, bags and putting them through the sealer. Uh, and so yeah, our our process there's a several different QC checkpoints along the way, um, all the way through to package. So um, it's definitely different. Our level of um, sanitization is is higher than a brewery, um, just mm. because we can't afford to have any sort of like microorganism contamination. Um, because not only does that affect us and our process and our lab, but it then will affect every single brewery or home brewer that we've sent that yeast out to. And so um, that would be a bad day for us um, if we made uh, that mistake. Has there ever been a QA mishap? Like you, you went through and it sent out a couple of batches and it turns out you went to lab and you saw uh, there was something else in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We're so human. In, in that case, you we just, definitely you just, like, messed up a few times. Once we um, propped, what we thought was A34, um, which is an English ale strain for a big brewery up in Seattle. Um, great customers of ours, still are great customers of ours. So we propped it, thought it was A34, it was labeled A34. We went through the whole thing, we packaged it, we sent it off to them. They made like 200 barrels of beer with this A34. Um, and then they got to sensory and um, it was failing their sensory and they're like, hey guys, um, is this perhaps A43, um, Loki? <laughs> oh no, that's quite a difference. So yeah, we sent them A43 as A34 and they made a whole bunch of beer with it. <laughs> was it okay? So, yes. Was it drinkable? We, it was drinkable. They, they were such great sports about it. And like, you know, um, things happen. We're, we're all human. Like we make mistakes. Um, that one was a pretty big one. Um, but, uh, for the most part, um, we try to minimize anything like that to, you know, happen ever again. <laughs> well, and, and I'm sure you made it right. So that's oh, the big thing. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so, so the only way to catch something like that, I imagine is just making a beer out of it and be like, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean like, Colony morphation is definitely something that we look at in our QP, QC process, but those two colonies are really similar mm. um, in size and shape. And um, really what we're looking for on those particular plates is like differences between like the, the slurry that's been plated, but it was all the same slurry. And so like the colonies looked just like the standard, you know, ale colonies and they didn't look any different on the plate itself. And so that it passed that checkpoint and that was, you know, the, the one place that it would have, you know, been caught and until it gets to a brewery and they make a bunch of beer and then they run sensory and they're like, this isn't right. Um, so. <laughs> so, so is that the, is that the hardest part of your job is handling the occasional whoops? Mm. I think the hardest part of my job is um, managing FedEx's whoopses all the time. <laughs> 
<laughs> I can imagine. Probably, the, probably the hardest part of Rory's job, that's for sure. But yeah, FedEx is just constantly messing things up for us, and we have to deal with the repercussions. Well, Rory's here. What's Rory's official job title? Is he, is he going to say it? Uh, I'm a uh, customer service and inside sales. God so. bless you, sir. God bless you. <laughs> it, I get a deal with a whole bunch of Imperial super fans. So it's overall a pretty cool job. That's awesome. <laughs> Steve, speak yeah. up, buddy. Yeah, go for it. Hey, you. Hi. So, and I do, I trust me when I say, I do not mean this to come off the wrong way. My, my question is, I love using liquid yeast and I love Imperial. I've been using it for years. I especially, we're not talking about it, but we should be. Darkness is one of my favorite yeasts of all time. Yeah. Um, I'm a very avid stout drinker, maker. I don't care about some seasonality. I will drink it in the middle of summer. I don't care. I'm a homebrewer, I can do what I want. Now, the problem is my local homebrew store won't carry it. Um, and they're getting away from a lot of liquid yeast as a whole because the shelf life and the viability, it, it, it just goes so quick. Now, as a, as a, I'd like to consider myself an advanced homebrewer, I can, I've built a stage starter and I've revived a two-year-old liquid. Uh, actually, that was an Imperial. I had it in the fridge for two years and uh, it was juice <laughs> and I revived it. Now, Impressive. what was that the right choice? I, I don't know. Um, but the average home brewer is not going to do that, right? Yeah. And that's, I'm pretty good friends with uh, our local guy's shop. And they're just carrying less and less yeast. So my long-winded question is, how, how do we avoid that when the dry manufacturers are coming out with more and more strains that they claim are comparable? And and, and I don't know if they are. I, I I have a hard time giving up juice. Talk about hazies. I love uh, making my. I I have a New England IPA that I love, and and uh, I use juice almost exclusively. Um, but I do use verdant, um, from, uh, quite frequently as well, because it's dry and, you know, it's a little, especially in the summertime. So how, how does, how do we avoid that? Um, and, and furthermore, my local homebrew shop won't carry Imperial. Like why not? <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, a good I, question. Um, you know, I think that that's, it's a really hard question to answer um, because absolutely your your local homebrew shop is totally correct. Um, the shelf life on liquid yeast is just super short. Um, and when you look at price point and um, having to ship it, you know, via expedited shipping and um, you're asking your customers to pay twice as much as a, a dry product um, when the dry the dry yeast companies are, are, are advertising that it's the exact same thing. Um, it's a really hard question to answer. And honestly, I really don't have a great answer for you. I think that, you know, the advantages of liquid yeast are that you've got freshness um, and viability. Uh, there's also going to be a larger quantity of viable cells um, in your in your slurry versus non-viable like dead cells. Um, uh, the QC controls are a little bit different. Uh, 
and then there's also you know kind of this dwindling um but still something that's a worth mentioning is that you know choice um and there's more choice on the liquid side than there is on the dry side but, 100% you know 100%. you they they have a great they have a great a great point and like i don't blame anybody for for wanting to you know steer away from liquid yeast and and stick to dry yeast because like running a small business is really difficult and when you're looking at that kind of uh landed cost um and not a high return it's it's a hard it's a hard prospect to make so um i think that you know for you um you know ordering online for some of the bigger manufacturers might give you the opportunity to get some of that liquid yeast um again you're gonna have to deal with some of the like fedex or ups or usps woes of shipping in the winter in the summer and like you know trying to get your yeast before it dies uh so there's that added challenge there but um you know i think that if you're able to um and you can get some liquid yeast uh to harvest it and um and store it in your fridge and and build starters when you're you're brewing next time is kind of your best bet in terms of being able to use liquid yeast so yeah um it's something that we're considering um we've definitely started the process of looking into what it would take to dry yeast um and uh uh what that would look like for us as a business and what that would do to like change our business model yeah i wonder if that's like the the way they're tr a lot are trying to go because of the shelf life and stability. I mean, it 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 seems like that has to be a natural evolution. I, again, I I do love the, using the liquid stuff. I I'm I'm shame on me because it's well again this is more advanced stuff. But I can I'll I'll take one package of yeast and I can turn it into five life cycles. You know, right. by overbuilding starters. Not that you want your general customer to know that because you want them spending eleven ninety nine a pack every time. No, no, we're, we're all about saving money. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so most commercial brewers will tell you that if it wasn't for re-harvesting yeast, that would be their most expensive thing that they buy. Well, 100%. So, so I, I don't think that from a home brewing perspective or a commercial perspective, they expect you to buy a new pouch every time because that, that, that is one of the most expensive Prices. single ingredients. It's pricey. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we I can turn one $12 pack into – two dollars and 25 cents a batch for five gallon you know by overbuilding um yeah. but again it's still about finding the stuff and getting it you know and that's i i it's tough it's it's a catch-22 it's it's a tough situation but well and i'm curious too because there are some strains like uh pub because that's the fuller strain right and and i love pub pub is an amazing strain um but i don't see anyone putting out dried yeast for for pub or, or even like the Augustina strain um, harvest, because I, I, I don't, I can't think of anyone's doing it because again, that's, there has to be something with those isolates that some are more, you know, pr prone to that process or more uh, you know, agreeable with that process than others. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously Chico, you can dry the crap out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, some strains are far more tolerant of the drying process than others. Um, and it's also about scale. Like when you're talking about drying yeast, you have to, you have to make it on a very, very massive scale. And so, um, you know, I think companies are kind of limited by that in, in that they have to choose strains that they know they're going to move a lot of yeast stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, 
we are over an hour, so I want to be honoring of your time, Casey. If you have time to continue hanging out with us, we love chatting with you, obviously. You're a wealth of knowledge, and you're amazing. We we don't expect you to go marathon like Alex did, because I know Alex had a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> we put Alex through the ringer with some, some real in-depth technical questions, which was good. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. And Ben just posted up, like, White Labs is dry yeast is like $10, which is like kind of crazy. Like, why would you? I don't know. That's crazy. Seems, that seems kind of really crazy expensive. to me. Yeah. And and I can get, you know, flagship for, for that, or I can go get an, a competitor's Chico for way cheaper that's dried as well. Yeah. But. Maybe they do something crazy, crazy good. But I, I do know stuff like like pub. You don't really see that as an a dry equivalent. I'm trying to Did think. It, no, like SO4 is AO1 house. What's uh Windsor from Lalawind? Is that is that the Boddington Street? No, that's no there. I I know they're kind of all over the board. They they pick some different stuff and okay. and. Just so we're clear, like the the company I was calling out for being cryptic about what's what is is kind of Lollaman. So <laughs> I would guess that that is AO1 House because it doesn't Windsor, say anything really. about being hyper flocculent. And it's not. It's it's a bitch to get to drop out and to to clarify. But oh like, yeah, then it's definitely what, House. When I use pub, I mean that stuff just that drops like a rock. I don't need to do any sort of findings or anything. Actually, the the beast yeah. of pub is that like it's so flocculent that when you're trying to get it out of the stupid pouch, it's already like flocked to the bottom, and you have to keep shaking it <laughs> continuously to get out of the stupid pouch. Yeah, when we count it here at the lab, it flocks it flocks on the um uh the cell counting um hemostatometer, the plate, not the plate, but the um uh, the slide. And it's really, really difficult to count because of that. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, it's it, it, as far as G strains that you have, like darkness, like Steve said, is amazing. Pub is also like rock star amazing. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I think I think flagships Chico. Chico is always going to be Chico, but it's overrated. Pub is fantastic. Does, uh, Scott Steenberg asked, "Does Imperial have a German box strain?" And I know why he's asking because of his Eldorado light lager that I have booked to brew soon. Cause that thing won, I don't know what, five or six competitions, Steve, that thing was just killing it. Hmm. To homebrewers, we don't. Um, if you're making a Bach, I would have, I would suggest uh, L17 harvest. Um, I'm trying to think if we've got a specific box strain. I don't think we do. Yeah, I would I would recommend L17 Harvest if you're making a box. Do y'all have anything from uh, from Andex? Yes, that's the L26 pilgrimage. Uh, and that that's not that's not homebrew. That's commercial only, right? No, it's not. Um, yeah, just commercial. It's one of my favorite strains, my favorite lager strain that we make. Um, I've been to Ondex and it's it's a magical experience. Oh, I'm so jealous. Um, so yeah. Um, so okay, I need to 
I need, I need to figure out how to get some pilgrimage and do some experimentation. I think we'll probably need to happen. But that, but, 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 uh, but the Cloister Ondex there, Doppelbach is one of the best Doppelbachs on the planet. And it, it's absolutely fantastic. So that, that's cool. Um, is there um, any plans, speaking of this, because I know you have a lot of commercial-only plans, is there more plans to expand out um, your your commercial down to more homebrew level? Or is that just not something that's like feasible at the moment? Right now, just just what we've got is available to the homebrewers. No no plans to expand that, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Is mm-hmm. it like, but I know you do seasonal, so like now it's yep. Cape Cabueno, so it's like pilgrimage possible to go on like a seasonal thing or? Totally. Um, the next seasonal is going to be our uh, I-10 Mangostini. Um, and then after oh, that cool. is going to be G-17 Gustav, which is a cold strain, um, but maybe L-26 over the winter. Because I know I'm going to mispronounce it again, even though you told me how to pronounce it, that the Higgy strain was like, L-25 was, was pretty delicious. It was fun to play with. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so that good. was... Um, Oh crud! What was the name of that brewery? Where, where did that one come from? That was a. Uh... It's a Danish strain, and it's. I, I, the name Carlsberg. is Carlsberg. Carlsberg. There Carlsberg he goes. Strain. Thank you, Rory. Thanks, Rory. It was escaping <laughs> me, but that that one was like a really great strain, especially for hoppy. Hoppy pills. Yeah, for 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 hoppy pills, cold IPA. It was delicious, and it had a fun name. It means like warm, cozy, like hug in Danish, just just like really just cute. So how much time do you and Rory sit around spitballing fun names for your for your products here? Fairly very little. <laughs> Although Rory, you were you were like peripheral to the Mangostini uh conversation, weren't you? I that I just heard about yesterday. Okay. Oh really? <laughs> oh yeah. So, so why mango steeny though? Because like the mango, yeah, it's it's tropical fruity, but the steeny, where where does that come in? Um, so we wanted to name it um Santorini, um, in themed with like Capri and Greek islands and okay. um, but that got shot down. Um, and so mangosteen is a fruit, um, mm-hmm. like this uh, South Asian fruit, I think it is tropical. Um, uh, kind of like these, like really soft, like tropical banana, strawberry kind of uh, characteristics. So those words came up a few times in our tasting notes, and so I'm like, oh, mangosteen sounds like a fun, fun name. And then somebody was like, well, we got to call it mangosteeny. And then there was a lot of jokes about tropical martinis being called mangosteenies, and it just stuck. So there, there you have it. That was like the genius um marketing uh conversation it's, that was it's no safari real. story that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> it's no safari no it's no safari <laughs> uh i i do i do like the greek isles one i mean you, you'll get a Makonos in there somewhere but <laughs> casey do you have ever do you ever have plans to go back and start homebrewing again once the the little ones are a little bit older Oh, totally. Yeah. Now that my husband doesn't work in a brewery anymore, like beer's expensive. Um, oh, hell yeah. So yes, definitely. <laughs> one of these days, but I'll probably make him homebrew because he's way better homebrewer than I am. 
Well, as long as you have a keg of beer on tap, my, that's however you get it. That's fine. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think the, uh, the little ones would actually enjoy the process. Um, my three-year-old loves helping to cook. So I'm sure he'd be super into like pouring hops in and helping stir mm. and, um, doing some of the stuff that doesn't involve him, like, you know, falling into a boiling pot of wort and whatnot. <laughs> um, mine really like to measure stuff out. So it's like the, the grain, if they can oh, dump yeah. it, if they can dump it into the grain mill and make the thing, yeah. the drill go crazy, that's their thing. And they make a giant mess. Um, okay. Be careful. I'll keep that in mind. That's, you, that sounds like it'd be right up his alley. You're, yeah. you're going to miss some starting gravities on, on some of that. If you let your kids <laughs> mill your grain, FYI. Yeah. Uh, and then, I, I'm just like the type of homebrewer that's like, I'm just not going to take a gravity reading. I'm a terrible, I, I sh- <laughs> don't ever follow my advice. That's just all I got to say. You're just like, it, it'll make beer. It's fine. It'll be okay. Uh, and then, then also like the scales, because like the digital scales look different with the numbers. And so my kids love like seeing the weird different numbers. Now make sure you measure all of your like water chemistry stuff separately, right? Because yeah. like your your calcium chloride will be off and you will have to adjust it because it's <laughs> going to be like 10 grams over what you wanted. But you can always scale back as long as you're not mixing it in with the gypsum that you just measured right? out. So. Yeah. I, I, we I have, have like kids. the the, um, the calcium chloride for the kids and the real calcium chloride for the brewing. <laughs> my, my kid, my, my daughter loves, um, after preschool every day, I pick her up. Uh, she's like, dad, have you going to homebrew store today? It's like, no, I don't need any beer today. <laughs> she like announces it as she comes out of the classroom. Going to homebrew store? <laughs> and honestly, uh, get, your, get your kids involved in naming these yeast strains because honestly, probably. kids oh, have fun. the best names. Um, my daughter named a whole fruited sour. Uh, no, my son, Rainbow Duck, because he was trying to tell me how rainbow ducks weren't real. And I'm like, no, they're not. But that sounds like a fruited sour that, that I should name. make. Yes, absolutely. Rainbow Duck. Like, he's that. definitely he definitely knows about beer. We were at the grocery store the other day and he was handing us cans and he kept going, here, daddy, here's your beer. And he was handing us cans of food. <laughs> no. <laughs> we look like really good parents here in the uh, grocery checkout line. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I keep uh, seltzer water on tap, and I'm teaching my daughter how to how to pour myself me some beers with that. It's training. It's good training. It's good training. <laughs> Solid pro tip there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cool. All right. What else do we have for Casey? Otherwise, I want to be I want to really honor our time because I have one more question, but I want to make sure everybody else has questions answered. Because I don't want to take up too much of her time if we're, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to consume it if she doesn't have anywhere to be and just wants to sit here and drink beer with us because, you know, we're just such rad people, obviously. I'm out of beer, unfortunately. Okay, well, definitely, we got to wrap this up then. Um, <laughs> so so we, we've talked to, like, um, Brian from Lalamond and some other folks that, that, like, have been really good to us. And it seems like as far as, like, you know, you talked about community with, with beer, it does seem like the yeast manufacturers are kind of a big family too like you said like a lot of your people came from y east and it seems like you are all on pretty good terms with everybody else and so i just i just wanted to like kind of have you expound on like that you know yeast just seems like it's a it's a family obviously you're competing you want to stay in business but there seems like there's a lot of market out there so that everybody can can kind of have their own slice of pie totally and i think everybody kind of has their own niche in terms of what they offer and what kind of um we're going to focus and, uh, and services they can provide to breweries. Um, and yeah, I mean, 
it's really hard to be, you know, super competitive with with another yeast lab when you're going to a conference and you know you're going to drink a beer with them and you're going to talk talk about about beer and like we all got into beer because we we were passionate about it and we loved it not because you know we're all making millions of dollars over here in the beer industry and so i think that um uh that at the end of the day like yes we are competitors and yes like we are we are running our businesses and we want to be successful and we want to um i mean i love winning don't get me wrong i'm like hyper competitive and um always want to win but uh but also like we are we are in this industry because we like we like the product and we like the the people that make it and the people that drink it and and we want to um want to see it do really well and i think that you know there's a line that's like a rising tide raises all ships and and then there's also, um, you know, the owner of the horse brass used to say this all the time. It's not about the beer. It's about the beer. And I think that's a really like profound statement and um, uh, something that like we all need to remember. I, I think it's awesome because, again, like what what Brian and, La- and Lalamond are doing are, are very different from what you're doing. And obviously what Berkeley's doing is is going out there and doing some things that you that not everyone else is doing. And so it seems like as long as you're all passionate and putting out a great product and like everybody's getting what they need. Like, I, I think it's awesome. Absolutely. So, but I do you, like to win. So, well, I, I think again, as, as Rory said, lots of Imperial love here. Like nobody said anything. <laughs> hateful. Uh, we wish you, we wish we could get, you know, some strains more year round, but you know, whatever. Uh, hey, now you know, somebody, you know, two people, you could probably just like nudge, nudge. Um, it's like I, I, I know a, a gal or I know a guy I know a gal it's all good yeah you got um, you got an in so yeah and I'll just make Marshall email you that's way easier for me um <laughs> I can't say I know, no to Marshall. I know sure. Eben I'll just send him another email it's I'm sure he's always pleased when he sees my name come into his inbox <laughs> <laughs> I keep him busy no, I, I was texting him with him um, just before we hopped on, and he said he's at a derby, a derby show, a derby well, yeah. party. It's a Kentucky, Kentucky Derby, derby party. Right? What's that? Yeah, I think it's already ran. Kentucky Derby already ran, though. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it yeah. ran right when we started, so. Oh. Who won? Does anybody care? Oh, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had, I had a cocktail, and that was that was my extent of derbiness. You, you had your bench. <laughs> You had your mint julep, except yep, for they're that was not about that it. good. They're not that good. It's fine. Hey, really I like good. I like I like whiskey, mint, and yeah, sugar. Yeah, I yeah. I'd much rather have a gin and tonic, but that's just me. Uh, well, I would too. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I make my own tonic syrup as well. So, anyways, um, cool. <laughs> well. I, Casey, we're happy to have you hang out. We may sit here and drink. Uh, I have I have at least this much of a Sierra Nevada inspired by you left to drink. So I'm very, quite happy to sit here and drink it. But you're out of beer, so I don't really want to keep Yeah, I should probably get running, go have dinner with my family. Um, it was really, really wonderful talking to you to you all. Um, if you ever have questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, I'm just Casey at imperialyeast.com. Alex, you can answer or you can uh, shoot a, a question to Rory, Rory's Rory.s at imperialyeast.com. Um, literally, like anytime you guys have questions, concerns, want to run something past us, don't hesitate to reach out. If you're ever in Portland or in Philly, 
um, swing by the lab. We'd love to show you around. Well, I personally am very grateful for your partnership with um, not just Velocity, but the Brew Club and what you guys are doing out there for the yeast industry. Obviously, um, I think most of us here share the sentiment that you guys have a great product. Y'all do a great job, and we really just appreciate you guys. So thank you for spending uh, the last hour and a half with us. I really do appreciate it. I know you're spending time away from your family. So thank you so much, Casey. Thank you. Y'all have a good one, okay? Inside, thank Rory. You. Thanks a lot, guys. It was fun. Bye. Side Rory. Side Rory there. Rory, you're, you can hang out too, man. You look like you're at home. Go grab another beer. Bye. I got, got to get going. Uh, but, uh, I hope to see you guys again. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Cheers. Thanks, Rory.